Hi, it's Jack Griffin, City Manager here at the City of San Marcos, and welcome to the latest installment of the San Marcos City Podcast. I'll be joined in a minute or two by a gentleman named Matt Trano. Matt works for IDS Real Estate. Um, the city's had a, a fairly long uh, relationship with IDS Real Estate. It's going on uh, two decades almost um, as they've been managing uh, the Creekside Marketplace. So the city owns that uh, that, strop- that shopping center at the intersection there of the 78 Freeway and San Marcos Boulevard where Best Buy and Winco, Hobby Lobby, In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A. If you, you live in town, you know where Chick- Creekside Marketplace is. So the city's city owns that. Um, it's a major part of uh, our real estate portfolio and part of our uh, revenue stream. Um, and IDS has been managing that for many years. And about uh, a little less than two years ago, um, we retained IDS to manage all of our revenue-generating properties. Um, so... Um, we own, you know, here at Civic Center, uh, the City Hall building is actually a, a commercial office building. The city occupies part of it, and then we rent out, um, you know, a significant amount of the building to various office users. We own industrial space uh, in various locations around town. Um, so we have a pretty, you know, large portfolio, certainly for a city our size, of um, um, of real estate. Um, and it's been one of the real um, benefits to the city's uh, financial situation for many, many years. Yeah, it's in, it's been interesting uh, with respect to the pandemic. It's been the one revenue source that um, has really been hurt the most um, from a city perspective, and and caused some of our budget uh, challenges. And so I wanted to have Matt come on and sort of talk about uh, as as hopefully we're emerging um, from from the pandemic to some extent. Um, we're recording this on Thursday the eighteenth, the day after the county got moved into the red category where. Um, businesses like uh, restaurants and what have you can start to resume indoor activities. Um, so it's maybe, it's, it's probably a good time to, to, to talk about this um, and have Matt sort of just uh, talk about the city's portfolio um, and um, what it's like to <laughs> manage a, um, a real estate portfolio for a government because it's not the most common thing. Um, and also just sort of talk to, in general about what's going on in the world of uh, commercial real estate and, and sort of what they're seeing as, as a company that manages, you know, I don't want to say billions, and maybe I'm maybe Mandel, let me know, but many, many, many millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars of real estate around the country. Um, so hopefully you find that interesting, and it's timely with respect to uh, emerging from the pandemic a little bit. And um, it's certainly as we move into our budget scene, it's season. It's a really important uh, part of our financial picture. So hopefully you enjoy that conversation. So I'm here with Matt Traino from IDS Real Estate. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jack. Nice to be here. Great. So as I um, mentioned in the brief introduction, IDS uh, manages all of the city's revenue generating property, which is a pretty uh, impressive portfolio for a city our size. Um, Before we get into that and sort of the state of uh, what the commercial world looks like in these crazy times, I wanted to have Matt um, sort of introduce himself, tell a little bit about himself, a little bit about his company, what they do, some, all the sort of details. So the listener, you listeners sort of know who you're listening to. Fantastic. Um, It's great to be here again. Thanks Jack for having me. So uh, I grew up in Orange County, not far uh, 
too far north of where we are here, sitting in San Marcos right now at City Hall. Um, went to San Diego State, proud Aztec. We're uh, in the run here for the March Madness, so gotta, everybody <laughs> should be supporting your Aztecs. Uh, and then was lucky enough to stay in San Diego, started working for IDS when I was 21, uh, and immediately started working on a project for the city uh, called Creekside Marketplace. So that was about 17 years ago. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so that's how I got involved with the city and worked closely at that time with, uh, I think Paul Malone was the assistant city manager. Yeah, yeah. And I think Rick Giddings was a city manager. Right. Uh, and the center was being developed. So I think the Lowe's building was built at that time, but the rest of the buildings were still under construction. Um, and that's where I cut my teeth on some retail real estate, uh, working under the supervision of some senior folks at IDS. Uh, and so on the personal side, fast forward to today, and I've got three young kids at home. Uh, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, an eight-year-old son, uh, and a four-year-old son. Uh, They're going to be so happy dad's on a podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll put this on and they will make fun of me for however long we're on this for 30 minutes or yep. whatever it is. Um, so, uh, uh, love spending time with the kids. Um, uh, the pandemic has been interesting with the kiddos, uh, the zoom, uh, education, uh, that they're getting now is, is definitely a toll on families with young kids and we fought through that, but hopefully we're near the end. Yeah, hopefully. So talk a little bit about IDS. You guys are a pretty big company. You have a really large portfolio of uh, real estate that you manage for a variety of uh, public and um, it's for private sector clients. Yes, we do. So uh, IDS Real Estate Group based in downtown Los Angeles. We've got offices in uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, right outside Seattle, uh, San Francisco, headquartered in LA, Orange County, and then San Diego. Okay. Um, so we are an owner, operator, and developer of commercial real estate. So that's retail, office, and industrial primarily. Um, the portfolio that we own uh, and or manage right now is about 35 million square feet uh, up and down the West Coast. Uh, and we work for primarily institutions, so pension fund advisors, um, private equity real estate groups, um, public folks like the city of San Marcos. Um, so broad range of, of clients and partners. Um, and we have been, uh, we have been kind of steadily growing since, uh, being started in 86. So okay. the firm is now up to about 120 folks and we've got about 20, uh, in San Diego. Okay. And our office down here is, uh, right next to the ballpark downtown. Okay. Which is cool. So it's got it. Must have been. I mean, it's been interesting for us as a as an owner and a landlord. But it's must have been incredibly interesting and difficult to be in your business for the past year, given all of the stuff everybody's had to deal with. And so it seems like we're starting to hopefully emerge from it. Uh, uh, the you know the timing of this is good. In there in San Diego, at least we went to Red yesterday, which allows a lot of the restaurants to start to go back indoors. So what have been, I mean, just some of the challenges you guys have faced trying to, to keep the centers and the properties afloat. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that it's been very different by product type. So on the retail side of our business, um, it has definitely been a challenge, but there are still folks that have done very well in the retail side of our business. Um, and folks that have, just been decimated on the retail side. Um, if you're in the 
you know, if you're in the food business um, and you have a drive-through location, right. you know, Chick-fil-A has done phenomenal. Right. Um, in and out has done great business through the pandemic. If you're a sit-down restaurant, you have had probably one of the most challenging years of your life. Yep. Um, and so we have spent a lot of time supporting the tenants that need to be supported um, coming up with creative ways to um, to help them solve some of the problems that they're going through and, and to hope at the end of the day to keep them alive right. so that we could get to, you know, where we are right now and getting back open indoors. Um, hopefully that accelerates and the percentages increase of occupancy that they can have. Um, and, and they're surviving to fight another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, even in, you know, even in retail, you've got folks that have done really well. You know, Target has done very well in the pandemic. Um, but you've had a lot of folks who haven't done well. Um, the office space has been interesting. Um, haven't been as many challenges working with tenants because um, I think they've been able to do their business for the most part. Um, and their revenues haven't been affected. Now, they're not using the buildings as right. much as they were. Yep. We've got... You know, for example, we've got four buildings down at Liberty Station that we own in a partnership. And pre-pandemic, we were at 100% occupancy and every tenant was, um, uh, their space was well used and folks were coming in every day. Uh, And through the pandemic, I think we've averaged maybe about 15% physical occupancy. So the buildings are still 100% leased, but only about 15% of the folks are there. Um, so that we've changed the way that we operate the buildings. Um, we've obviously had to put in a lot of safety measures, um, because in an office setting, you've got common areas that you control and you're responsible for versus in a retail shopping center environment where the tenant controls everything inside of their four walls and and you don't have anything indoors that is common in an office building. You've got elevators, uh, you've got, um, different touch points that tenants touch in the building in the restrooms and, Mm -hmm. Um, having to talk to our engineering staff and our, uh, our facilities teams to make sure that the buildings were safe was a big push up front and set kind of a lot of those uh, policies in place uh, was a big push. Um, there hasn't been as much restructuring of, of those tenants' um, leases, for example, because they really haven't had a big impact on revenue. I think the office side of our business is interesting going forward and how people are going to use office space. Are they going to come back at the same, uh, with the same number of people in an office? Are we going to have a hybrid work model? Um, Are we going to have folks that say, you know what, screw it. We don't need this overhead. Everyone can work from home. I think it's highly dependent on what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, we're a good example. Um, There's elements of what we do in the office that, telecommuting can work perfectly fine, but then there's other elements, you know, the public facing counter stuff where we've, we figured out ways to provide that service, but it's not, it's not ideal to do it that way. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I look around at our offices obviously have been mostly empty. Uh, 15% seems like about right in terms of how many people we've had here through all of this. Um, and I wonder about a year from now, you know, am I going to, uh, do I ever get any, get back to a hundred percent or do I, you know, cause both, cause it's an employee and an employer kind of a thing. Cause there's employees that really probably like the telecommuting and want to, want to continue to do it. Um, and if they're being productive and all that sort of stuff, there's, there's not a, a great business reason, you know, to not do it other than maybe the 
environment part of and the camaraderie and just the personal interaction part of of, of work environment. So yeah, I think it's going to be offices and, and as leases come due, I suppose that's when tenants will start to be really thinking about, you know, for, for renewals coming up, do I need this much space or can I be downsizing my footprint and still getting all the same work done? Yeah, the, the office leasing market has been a, a challenge through the pandemic because no one uh, no one can make a decision. Yeah. You're 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 kind of paralyzed. You know, what do we do? We don't we don't know Today, we know a little bit more. I think everyone has more confidence today than they did six months ago right. in trying to make a decision about what to do with your office space going forward. But what we saw was people just say, hey, can, can we just stay here month to month? We don't know what to do. We don't know what's happening. <clears throat> Very difficult for us to make a decision. So can we renew for a year? Can we stay month to month? Um, there has not been um, the visibility for the decision makers to be able to step up and say, hey, we're going to we're going to commit to a new 10-year lease and we'd like you, Mr. Landlord, to, to build out a new space for us and we're going to make this commitment. I think that's starting to change, um, but not a lot of that was going on in the last year. Okay. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I miss the collaboration with my, my team and my colleagues. Um, you, you can get a little bit of it from WebEx or Teams or Zoom yeah. or, you know, all these platforms uh, that are technology enabled that everyone's using, but it doesn't replace the sitting down with somebody um, and having that that face to face interaction. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, we've talked about that a lot as we as we think we're kind of emerging from this. Is um, just the there's going to be a generational aspect of this that folks who've worked in their in, in an office environment and you know for for decades are going to probably be slower to wanting to give up the inter, the personal part of it and the interaction part but i also think you lose some of the creativity and just sort of the idea generating part of it cuz some of that just comes in impromptu ways and if everything's this hour on this zoom meeting this hour on this one and and there's you know there's little boxes with faces you don't get that I don't think you get that sort of um, creative juices of conversations flowing nearly as easily. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we've been talking about, like I said, we've been talking about how to, how to bring people back and, and, and what the, you know, I, I, I default to bringing everybody back, but I don't know that that's actually going to be the way it, it works out in the end. Um, so we'll see. So maybe we'll transition a little bit. Um, uh, to to the city's actual properties, um, Creekside is our um, is sort of the crown jewel of our of our real estate holdings. Um, uh, from a, a city budget perspective, uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, rent played oh anywhere from ten to twelve percent of our total city revenues, um, and so it's a really it's it's essentially it is not essentially it is actually the third largest of our revenue categories behind property tax and sales tax. Um, and obviously the, the pandemic has caused a big hit there, and that's where the city's budget is um, struggling. Um, property taxes held steady, and um, and I think everybody knows if in the housing market, especially where the values are going. So, um, so the news from a property tax uh, 
is, is good. And sales tax has been, it dropped, but it came back. And, um, and I, you know, the state of California has a large <laughs> surplus and mm-hmm. a lot of that's driven by online sales and sales tax. So, um, one of the things that's interesting about San Marcos is, um, as a city, we keep the smallest amount of property tax than any city in the County does. We only get to keep seven cents of a dollar of our property tax, uh, for general fund purposes. Um, so that's why you mentioned Rick Giddings and Paul Malone and the councils that came back. That's why they made these investments in property was that the city's revenue was always going to be a little shorter than others because of the way the, f- the formulas worked in the seventies with prop 13 and all that kind of stuff. Um, that San Marcos was always going to have a little bit of a revenue disadvantage. And so, uh, the investment in property, um, and generating rent, supplemented that and really has played a giant role. So um, that's why we own what we own. And certainly thanks and credit to those councils and past administrators for having the foresight to do that. And it has been the city's saving grace in past recessions. It's been the, it's been the shock absorber that allowed San Marcos to weather the housing bubble crash pretty, pretty well. Um, but this one, it's been the opposite. It's been the one that's taken the biggest hit. So, um, but we've got some good news at Creekside Marketplace. Um, it's been, there's some space there, but why don't you talk a little bit about our, our tenant mix and some of the news we have coming out of that center. Absolutely. So the, it's a beautiful shopping center. It's a class A neighborhood center, um, right off the 78 freeway. If you, if you're here in San Marcos, you can't miss it. Um, I think we were fortunate in the beginning of the pandemic to do the Best Buy renewal. Mm-hmm. So Best Buy is an anchor tenant in that shopping center and we're able to uh, renew their lease for five years, which I think was a nice win early on. Um, we've also got Winco and Hobby Lobby as anchors there. And uh, both of those tenants have continued to do well um, during the pandemic. Um, you know, everyday staple like grocery obviously really hasn't seen any. Sure. Um, any slowdown in their business. If anything, I think their business is up. Uh, but we did see some restaurants that struggled and went out of business. So we had uh, pickup sticks at the center. Uh, we were able to negotiate something with them uh, that gave us back the premises, the space. Um, and within, I think, three months, four months of, of negotiating that deal with pickup sticks, we were able to sign a new lease with a, a North County-based chain uh, called Pokey One and a Half. Um, and they're actually going to do two food concepts in the one space. They're going to do their Pokey One and a Half concept, which I think they have four locations in North County. And they're going to do a Korean fried chicken concept called Patakak. Hmm. Um, so they are uh, just about to get started with construction. And I think that'll be a, a nice food offering in addition to the center, a category of food that we haven't had there, yeah, um, which will be nice. Uh, and then just uh, this week, we signed a new lease with uh, a local sushi concept called Hooked on Sushi, uh, also North County-based. This is their, uh, I believe, their third location. Um, and they're going to go into the space that used to be occupied by Noodles and Company. Okay. So that was a nice little victory for the shopping center and um, – just got signed and they're starting their, uh, they'll be starting their permitting efforts here, you know, soon. And we're probably looking at an opening within five or six months okay. uh, for them. So two new concepts. That's great. Yeah. I think it's exciting. Um, good to see that lease new leasing momentum because there really have not been restaurant operators um, willing to go out and do new locations until maybe the last 
60, 90 days, we started to see more activity. Okay. So I think we're going to see more of that um, as folks realize that uh, that we're, we're probably near the end of the pandemic and people have been eating at home right. for a year. There's a lot of pent-up demand. And they want to get out. Yep. They want to you know, get down and have a meal with the family, with friends, and share a drink together. And I think we're going to see a significant amount of demand for yeah. people wanting to spend time together outside of the home. Yeah, I, th I think that's <laughs> absolutely true. Um, and so we have a couple other challenges on the, so we have the vacant Applebee's site. Um, and so uh, Matt and his team have uh, presented to uh, the city council. We did a workshop with the council uh, two weeks ago, almost, yeah. um, where we walked through all of the portfolio and we shared with the council some of the ideas. So what are the, some of the ideas we have for the, for the Applebee's site? So the Applebee's building is is almost 6,000 square feet. Um, it was an original ground lease to Applebee's. Uh, I don't think Applebee's has ever been that successful in San Diego County, um, maybe broadly Southern California as a concept. I know that they still do well in a lot of other places in the country, but uh, never just did the amount of sales that, uh, that you deem successful for a restaurant of that size. So when their lease was up, um, we had an opportunity to either try to release it to another 6,000 square foot restaurant, um, which is a big restaurant space, mm -hmm. um, really a, a category of, of restaurant users that we're just not seeing much of. Um, full sit down, 6,000 square feet, uh, big kitchen, huge kitchen in that building. So we thought about where is the demand today? Uh, and this was a few months ago. Uh, and it's primarily for fast, casual, quick serve or drive through um, and drive through more being maybe pandemic related. Yeah. But still, you're seeing uh, users, a lot of users uh, who are in the fast, casual, quick serve space want to have a drive through. So we looked at some different options. We said, could we scrape the building and, and uh, do a new ground lease with somebody who wanted to drive through? And we studied that. Um, it could work but it wasn't economically as attractive as if we were to build a new building there that would accommodate um, two to three tenants who were all focused on fast, casual, or quick-serve food with a big shared outdoor patio. And um, I think that's the exciting part of the, the concept is that that's the one thing the center is lacking is that sort of shared common outdoor area. It is. We, we've A few of the restaurants have a very small outdoor space kind of right outside of their front door right. for lack of a better description. Um, but this is really a, an intentionally designed shared patio to seat you know, up to about a hundred people um, and uh, all outdoors and then creating the, the connection between this new building between the indoors and the outdoor. So really having taken advantage of our weather um, here in San Marcos um, getting a space that is more flexible for these users and targeting sizes um, really from 1,200 feet up to about 2,600 square feet um, where we're seeing a lot of new restaurant okay. concepts that we were seeing pre-pandemic and I think we're going to see post-pandemic. Um, smaller footprints, uh, they have the ability to, um, uh, to leverage the outdoor space for seating and really produce some good sales volumes, which means they can afford to pay a, a market rent. Right, right. And obviously that's really important. Sure. And then the last, well, not the last piece, but the other piece that was clearly a pandemic-related issue was Phil's decided um, to 
throw in the towel on the site here in Creekside. Um, different animal than the Applebee's site. Um, so we're out there hopefully um, getting some interest in it. But We are. We uh, It was disappointing for, I think, everybody involved to lose Phil's. We, I think we tried extremely hard to make that yeah. work, and it just, at the end of the day, uh, it just couldn't, uh, which was unfortunate. But we are out there where we've got a couple of prospects right now that I think are very exciting. I don't think we can talk about them yet because sure. they're not out there in the public, but um, I'm hoping in the next couple of months we can talk about okay. at least one of these. Um, but there is some, there's some activity and it's definitely picking up in the last 30 days. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, and then the last big vacant space is the Staples space. And I know we're same, we're in the same place. We're talking to some pretty interesting users, but we're not quite at the place where we're ready to say anything publicly. Yes. <clears throat> um, credit worthy national retailers yeah. for that space, which will, uh, I think from a, from the financial aspect of the shopping center, uh, be a big win from the credit worthiness of, uh, and the durability of that rent. If we can make the deal that we've been working on will yeah. be fantastic. Um, and, and I think a good use for the community as well. That's great. So I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass Matt a little bit because, um, we made a decision, um, a little less than two years ago to uh, bring in a property manager for all of our assets as opposed to just Creekside. And we had a competitive process and IDS won that process. And um, I've, I've, I've told the city council this and, I, and the staff has heard me say this. One of the best decisions I think I've made in as city manager here was doing that. Um, uh, not to say that we didn't try hard as a city to manage all our assets, but there are certain things that government does well. And there are certain things that I think government doesn't do as well. And there's, uh, there's a lot of expertise in the world on this sort of front. And um, so when we made the decision to say after quite a few years of, um, of frustrating ourselves and, and realizing we weren't doing as best we could um, to bring in a, a firm like IDS to manage all our assets, the timing of it couldn't have been better because I can't imagine what we would have done in the pandemic with the lack of experience we had as a staff and these sorts of things. So I just wanted to sort of publicly thank you, Matt, here on the podcast. <laughs> I, I've done it at the council workshop meeting too. Um, but um, it, it, Should we just end this now? No, well, yeah, well, <laughs> pretty soon. Um, but um, this is such a huge um, piece of the city's financial future, not just um, – on the ongoing rent, the rent's hugely important to our operating budget. And, and so all of these uh, things, getting these spaces that are empty backfilled is critically important for us to come out of the pandemic quicker as a city. Um, I think I've talked on the podcast that we're going to be a little slower than other cities because um, their tax bases, just like our tax base side of it, didn't suffer as much. So they didn't have the big drop. Um, I think us in Del Mar and probably the city of San Diego, you got the fairgrounds, the loss of that, the convention center, the loss of that. We're probably the three cities that got hit the hardest in the pandemic. And so it's going to take us a little longer to recover from it. And so getting these spaces back full so that when all the services are being demanded and everything can be open, we're, our budget's in a place that um, can get there. And so why don't you talk a little bit about the rest of the portfolio? Not, you know, to get all details, but we have a, kind of a varied portfolio that I'm sure most people aren't even aware the city owns. Uh, absolutely. And, and thank you for those kind words. I'm blushing, which nobody can see. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a team effort 
first, we've got a robust team at IDS that works on uh, on the portfolio of the city-owned assets and works their tails off. Um, and and hats off to the city for um, thinking outside the box a little bit and bringing in um, you know professional property management, leasing, construction management, which are the services that we provide for you guys. Um, so the portfolio is is uh, it's mixed. So there's Creekside Marketplace, which you mentioned is, is the crown jewel, uh, certainly the largest asset. Um, there are several ground leases throughout the city where the city uh, has leased the ground for long-term leases, you know, upwards of 65 years in some cases. Um, there are small industrial buildings throughout the city uh, where they're leased to local businesses. Um, there are uh, also some ground leases that are leased to other retail users, mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know old spaghetti factory right by Civic Center Plaza. Um, and then Civic Center Plaza is right. another ground lease example where the city owns the land. Right. <clears throat> it's leased to a uh, an individual who owns all the buildings right. on the land and then who lease subleases to the tenants. So um, it is a mixed bag. The other, I think, crown jewel of the portfolio is one Civic Center, right. where we are right now, um, which functions as, um, as the city's Civic Center, uh, but also as a privately leased office building as well which generates um, It's a pretty unique city. thing. You don't see that very often. Very unique. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are some operational challenges with that, and I think we've, we've sorted them out. Um, so you're, you've, you've got a home for all your employees here, um, and, and then you've also got a, you know, a, an office building kind of attached to it, uh, and you've got you know, 15 to 17 tenants, depending on occupancy, that are doctors, well, dentists, um, you know, we've got a big VA facility on the ground floor. You've got the IRS. Yep. Um, and these are all rent paying tenants in yep. the building. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Well, the IRS is the IRS, but it's kind of nice <laughs> to have that sort of big Goliath of a tenant in the building. Um, they, you know, they haven't been open very much in the past year, but they're, they pay the rent. They pay the rent. Um, so that's, it's those institutional tenants are good. Yeah. So I don't know that, you know, folks, all of the land right around Civic Center, the office buildings that are across the street, where the LA Fitness is, farther down Rancheros, the Maillard Live site, those are all either city-owned land or and or buildings. And mm-hmm. you know, the city owns the building at Maillard Live. The city owns, obviously, Civic Center, um, where City Hall is, um, and then assorted other parcels around town. Um, and then one thing that... Um, uh, we did have we did ask Matt to do after we brought the firm on to do our, sort of all the management was to um, go through provide to the council a very comprehensive look at the portfolio and so like I said we did that a couple weeks ago um, and part of our um, solving of some of our short term budget issues uh, this year. Um, in terms of getting our arms around our entire portfolio was looking at things that were underperforming or, or, or weren't performing or didn't really have a long-term municipal use uh, potential um, and making decisions on whether or not those are assets that would made sense to consider um, liquidating. Um, and so um, as part of our mid-year budget adjustment um, and with the help of, of Matt and the folks at IDS, we ended up selling a couple of properties um, that the city's owned for quite a long time. Um, and that really um, enabled us to avoid as much of hitting our reserves to balance the budget uh, this year as we've done in the past. When we adopted the budget in June of 2020, you know, there was a lot of, 
it was only three months into this thing and there was a lot of unknowns. And so the council, um, on top of a lot of the cuts we took with hiring freezes and furloughs and, um, cuts to services and what have you agreed to put about 2.7 or $2.8 million of reserves into the operating budget to, to balance it. Um, and, um, we're very happy to bring to council about a month ago, um, a mid-year budget adjustment where where we only think that we might need 250,000 of that $2.8 million. And and we're actually hopeful that we won't need any of it by the end of the fiscal year. So, um, you know, we've really tried to, um, with Matt and his folks help to, to step back and, and look at it from our portfolio as, as a landholder, uh, landlord, landholder, investor looks at a portfolio and um, and makes some strategic decisions that made sense given what we were dealing with through this time. Yeah, we I think we all took the approach of of looking at this just like we would for any other institutional real estate owner. And what are we? What should we be looking at? Pruning non strategic. Um, pieces of real estate that the city in some cases wasn't earning any income off of um, or very little income and didn't have a strategic purpose in the portfolio. Um, But looking at everything and saying, is this something we should be holding? Is this something that we should potentially buy more of? Um, Or is this something we should sell, buy, hold, or sell? Um, And looking at the values, um, looking at the trends going forward, um, so yeah, we, it, these are things that we do on an annual basis for, um, large public pension funds and our private equity clients and partners do every year. Um, and the city should be doing it as well. And that's the approach that we yeah, took um, when you brought us on. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was something that we absolutely desperately needed to do. And, and it's, it's paying dividends, um, every day. Um, and certainly helped us get through what's really a difficult time. So, um, Matt, thanks very much for uh, joining the podcast. Um, I think one of the council members, when after the workshop meeting, said thanks very much. That was great, and it's on you to keep our <laughs> keep us afloat through this tough time. <laughs> so there's no pressure, and uh, uh, making sure this money keeps coming in. Um, but um, I think it was just helpful to to let the folks who listen to the podcast maybe have a better understanding of how reliant the city is on this revenue source and how important it is for us to to have a, have someone like you and your firm to really guide us and give us good advice and direction on how to do it. So thanks very much. Appreciate you doing the podcast. Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate you having me here and, and uh, appreciate the relationship that we have with the city and uh, working together with you guys to get as much rent collected as we can. Great. <laughs> we like that. Thanks very much.